Excited to be with you guys. Super Bowl Sunday. We know that 90% of you are currently pulling for the Rams. 40% of you don't know who the Rams are and don't really care. But you're hopefully, and I think it's probably 60% of us, can't wait for Super Bowl commercials at least. Anybody else love the commercials? Yeah. And the rest of y'all are sitting there like, he's going to watch it? What about the halftime show? He can't watch the halftime show. Don't put anything on filthy before your eyes. I might turn my eyes. It'll be great. You're welcome to watch it. There's freedom in Christ. Care about holiness. All that to say is we really are. We are glad that you guys are here. One of the things we're doing is, again, allowing for the transition of students heading out and kids. But man, if this is your first time to the Springs, welcome. If you're here and you're wrestling with faith and, you, and you're coming back to church because perhaps as a kid you were around it, but then you grew disenchanted from it, where you saw hypocritical faith, judgmental people, you went off to college, you began to think through things in a way to where you really began to realize, I can't believe any of this to actually be true. What's the difference between faith and fairy tales? What's the difference between the resurrection and the Easter bunny? Man, we're glad you're here. Love that you came to check it out. This is absolutely a place for you as well as for those looking to come and grow in a love for Christ. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get after it. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege of coming and getting to talk about you. Getting to open your word, to examine it, to see what is true, to call our lives to truth. To be reminded for those of us in this room that call ourselves Christians who make up your church, your bride that we would be folks whose hearts and lives are changed by you. And from that change, we seek to live a changed life. No one can do that apart from your spirit, God. And we thank you knowing your spirit resides and dwells and seeks to create that within us. So may we come. May we lay our hearts aside. Would you open the eyes of a heart that we might behold the wondrous things of your law? We need your help. I'd ask wherever you are, take the next 10 seconds. If you have a faith and pray that God would strengthen it. And if you're here and you're just reflecting on faith in the first place, excited for it as well. If you would, please take the next 10 seconds and I'd love it if you pray for me. Pray that I would be faithful to God. My words would be his and the teaching of his word would be edifying and helpful. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It is a privilege to gather. We give you this time that it be glorifying to you in every way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all, hey, welcome to the Springs. I shared, my name is John. I serve as pastor here, and I could not be more excited about what we're talking about today. If you've been hanging out with us the past, we're going into our fourth week now. We've been working our way through the book of James. When I say the book of James, your Bible, it's comprised of 66 different letters, small books. And we're just examining one of those to see, hey, what did it teach? What did it mean? And how does it apply to us today? And really, the theme of what we're going to talk about today is how faith, how Christianity, what it really lends itself to is obedience. Obedience, for some reason, that word, in particular American culture, and especially perhaps of different generations and growing up with this anti-authoritarian mindset, especially when we've seen a bunch of broken authority figures, the word obedience carries this negative connotation to where you hear that and you almost bristle at the thought of God calling me to obey. Yeah. But what I want to show you today is how obedience is in and of itself a blessing. It's meant to mark your life, church, as it's meant to mark mine. But before we jump into it, the thing I want to share with you guys is actually a story from my life where I knew what doing right looked like. I totally didn't do it, and I paid the consequences. So if you're here and it's your first time, you're going to hear about the time I was arrested, right? Time I was arrested. Welcome to the Springs. Not too serious. It's not too bad. But all I have to say is, I remember it. <laughs> it was a night where, here's where I was. I was in college, a bit of background on my life. Um, I grew up in what I would call a church-attending household. My dad came to know faith. Faith started growing the family. I had a broken view of God all through high school. Takes me into college. I go into college. I'm, I'm disenfranchised with the whole thing. Can't stand religion. Would have said I was a Christian, but I went to college, and I was like, 
I'm going to capitalize on everything I feel I've missed out on. I'm going to go make up for the lost time of being the Christian version of a goody two-shoes. It's just part of my personality. So I go, and one of the things that was I had the opportunity to do was Pledge of Eternity. I remember thinking to myself, why not pay for friends? Why not go and be a part of that? Right? So I ended up doing that, and we're about to head into pledging, but stay with me. And this whole season, if you fast forward in my life, I become a Christian five years after this. All right, that's where I really realized what faith and obedience meant. But what I still knew back then, what I still knew was don't break the law. I still knew don't break the law. All that to say is this pledging week starts in this fraternity. It's the one I was eventually going to come to join. They didn't care too much about rules, and so they had this event even before pledge week. They rented this RV bus. I went, to, I went to college there in Atlanta. They rented this RV, and they loaded it with, I don't know, 10, 15 prospective pledges. They put us in this RV, and they're going to drive us to Athens, Georgia. If you don't know Athens, Georgia, home of UGA, go dogs. And it was absolutely a place where you could go, and it was party central for college kids. And it was one of those, hey, get in the bus. We're going to take him to Athens. We're going to have this great night. They'll come to like the fraternity. Well, I go. I get on this bus. Things begin to take place. Sin on the bus, most explicitly too much drinking. I don't, I don't glorify any of the sin, but it was a reality of where I was in my life to where I end up in Athens drunk. We get off the bus. We go into bars, and I start hanging out all these different places. The night begins to devolve from there. Right? And I can remember walking out of this bar, and there's two guys, these upperclassmen, and one guy I went to high school with, I thought he was super cool, all this kind of stuff. And I can remember thinking there was this other bar that people were at. One of the things I'd always known is follow the laws. There's this really simple law. It's called don't jaywalk. Right? Because anytime you get arrested, what a police officer needs is something called probable cause. Right? Here's what I came to learn about the city of Athens. The number one probable cause that officers use is when people do not cross on the white lines. They have this phrase, follow the man. The man being, as you stand at the corner to wait to cross the road, the man that lights up, that white icon, that then tells you, okay, it's good to cross. I didn't know any of that. I'm not thinking, I've already broken plenty of laws. Why not continue? All of a sudden, I'm crossing the street, and I see a bicycle a police officer on a bicycle books it. I can remember thinking, he is going tremendously fast, (laughs) right? And I can remember him coming and thinking, is he coming for me? Me walking up, first thing he says to me is, let me see your fake ID. And I can remember sitting there realizing, this is not gonna go well, (laughs) right? So this officer places me in handcuffs and I can remember thinking, how is he going to get me to jail? (laughs) Like, do I ride? Is there a second seat? Seriously, this was not a great season of my life, right? I'm sitting there. I'm already kind of out of my mind a little bit. One guy, I kind of responded with trying to make jokes, which he did not think was funny. Like, I can remember being like, hey, could you loosen the handcuffs a little bit? Like, the dude tightened them. And I remember thinking, like, that's just mean. Why would you be mean? My buddy over here is yelling at him as he then takes off to chase my buddy. Not a great night. He calls back up. This one guy has to come. I get put in a squad car. That guy was delightful. I had a wonderful conversation with him. But here's the reality of that moment, right? It goes on. I'll tell the rest of the story some other time. But it goes on. Everything works out. My parents are like, seriously, man, broke their heart. Years later, came to Christ, realized the sin, the pain, and the brokenness. But here's what I didn't care about in that moment. Following the law. Obeying the law. In a very practical way, here's what I realized. By not obeying the rules, by not following the law, I paid consequences. Like there was eight months probation, 40 hours community service. I had to pay an attorney. I had to pay fees to the state. I had this probation officer I had to call every month. Side note, you guys know how on social media it'll try to connect you with people that it thinks you're connected to relationally? Dude, my LinkedIn wants me to connect with my former probation officer all the time. And I'm like, seriously? How do you know that? 
which is another unnerving thought in and of itself. But all that to say is I did not follow the rules. And what did it lead to? Consequences in my life. If you were to come up to me and say, do you care about being a rule-abiding citizen? Obviously, I would have to say, sort of, at best. Not really. Right, I, I share all of that because I went through, I paid my consequences, everything worked out. But I share all that because here's what we're going to see. James, the author of this letter, he's going he's to drill into this theme of here's what Christians are called to do far more so than me in obeying walk across the white line. Far more than that, he's going to say a characteristic of true faith is obedience to the law. A characteristic of what marks true people who have been set free by faith in Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for every wrong decision I ever made and will ever make, and all he says is believe how those folks respond, a characteristic, is they obey God's word. Today we're going to talk about how obeying God's word is a hallmark of God's people. Obeying God's word is a hallmark of God's people. To say it differently, church, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, obedience really does matter. Hallmark, what, what I use the word hallmark specifically, a hallmark is something that shows legitimacy and purity. If you look up the definition, if it, it is a differentiating characteristic. You know how Christians are called to be different because they have a different faith, which transforms a different follower. They are called to obey God's word. There's two reasons why I think this matters so much. Because for so long, I used and I knew people and I hid behind obedience. I really called it, well, that's just legalism. That's just legalism, y'all. That's such a cheap trick. It is a terrible thing when God's people call obedience legalism. No, because here's what we know. We know the heart of a good father. Like my parents growing up, as they came to discipline, instruct, and develop me, they didn't come overbearing, yelling at me, and leaning into my life. I grew to a point where I trusted them. That's why, church, Obeying God's word is a hallmark of God's people. And if you're here and you're wrestling with faith, and maybe you were arrested last night and you're here and you're still drunk, wherever you are, here's what I think you should be really excited about this. Because I've also felt this feeling too. You ever had folks, especially non-believing people or disenfranchised people or folks who believed once and they walked away, they come up to you or they say the theme and you see it all the time. Hey, hey, Christians, why don't you guys actually practice what you preach? Why, why don't you actually go and follow through, to use words of James, be doers of the word? They, they wouldn't say that way. Why don't you practice what you preach before you come and talk to me about it? Hey, if you're here and that's you, you're going to love today. Because here's what James is going to tell you. He's going to tell me, church. He's going to say, practice what you preach. Obedience is a hallmark of people who know the love of a savior. And what do we obey? His word. Where are we going to see this? It's James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 through 27. And really, we're going to break it down into what is the heart of someone who comes and says, okay, God, my life is yours. You have set me free. You have so changed me. My life is yours. How do I follow? We're going to look at three themes. How you and I, church, we are called to receive, respond, and resign. What, what do you receive? You receive the implanted word. What do you respond to? Be doers of it. And what do you resign yourself to? A life marked by this. Resign, what I mean by that word there, it, it means to give yourself over to entirely. An unconditional commitment. And you'll see this thread all throughout it, just, just setting up where we'll be. Obedience, we think, brings limitation. We think it's this restricting of freedom. If you hear the word obedience, 
And you almost view, hey, God's looking to keep me from having fun. God's looking to rip me off. Here's what you have. You have a broken view of God. You have an unbiblical view of God. Go, go listen to last week. The, the section James is coming out in this theme is every good and perfect gift comes from God. You can't find goodness outside of the source. So if obedience feels like limitation and restriction of freedom, there's an unbiblical view of what really a father in heaven is like. It's a view I held for a very long time. Why is James putting this section right here? If you've tracked with us, the two general themes we talked about the past couple weeks was trials, the difficulty that life brings towards us, the difficulties that you and I face as a result of living in a broken, in a fallen world. Trials. Last week, we talked through temptations, how you and I, our desires can be deceived, and deceived can lead to disobedience, which always brings about death. James is putting this theme here because he's shifting the direction of this letter where he's going to say, here are the hallmarks. Here are the characteristics of the faithful. He holds up a mirror and he goes to examine you and to examine me. Why? Because he loves us. He knows what it's like to live a life apart from faith in Christ. James, if you go back to our first week, he didn't mourn likely at the death of his brother Jesus. It wasn't until after Jesus died and came back from the grave where, where James had an encounter where he realized Jesus Christ, his big brother, was the son of God. James knows what it's like to live both. And he pleads with you, and he pleads with me. Obedience, obeying God's word, is a hallmark of God's people. It's not limitation freedom. So let's look at the text. We're going to read 19 through 21. 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person, such a familiar verse, and we're going to talk about this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Anybody ever had that verse quoted at them in like a debate? Seriously, you liars. Nobody, okay, we got one, okay, two faithful people to raise their hand. It's a safe place, guys. It's okay to be who you are, right? Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I love the Bible. First theme we're going to look at today is we realize God's people obeying God's word, it's a hallmark. The way that you and I move towards that is we receive. What do we receive? God's word. So this setup, there's generally three themes, right? Paul starts by saying, he says, hey, hey, know this. He's already having a conversation through this letter. It's James saying, hey, guys, lean in. Take note. This is significant and then he reminds them of their identity. My beloved brothers, dearly loved family of God. He tells them who they are in Christ before he tells them how they are to live as Christians. Y'all, that is essential to discipleship. You lead with who they are in Christ, and then you follow through how you are to live. If you want to act like a saint, believe you're a saint. Right? That's what James is doing. He, he sets them up with this, and then he goes in to this famous passage. You may have it on, on like a coffee mug, or it's posted on your wall, or your wife quotes it to you all the time, or you get in trouble for not doing this at work, any of that kind of stuff. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. He's saying the same thing differently. He's saying, if you're one of those personalities, and man, this happens to me, who just because I, I tend to have emotion and passion and I care, then in conversations, I'm the guy that like leans forward on a seat. And as you're talking to me, a broken ditch I can fall into is I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next rather than listening to you as you talk to me. My wife is like giving an internal amen right now somewhere. Right? And James is saying, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But here's the theme. Who is James talking about? Don't be listened to speak over. Don't be quick to speak over. Who, who's he addressing that to? And then he goes on. 
be slow to anger. Anger there, I, I've, for some reason, until studying it this week, I've always thought that was kind of this like outburst or this like sitting on the edge of the chair going after it. And yes, that, that's included, but really, it's this deep internal resentment. It's smoldering is the word that's connected to it in the Greek. Right, and why is James saying, hey, don't lean in, don't be hasty, don't, don't, don't do that. For, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What is James after in your life and my life, church? More and more righteousness. Righteousness here, what he's speaking to, is not a moment where you come to believe and you receive righteousness one time. No, no, he, he's speaking to godliness, holiness, how what he wants is for you and me to look more like Jesus Christ tomorrow than we do today. That's a general theme of this entire book, the worthy work. But so many times I've heard this verse and things like, hey, don't, be, don't come and be hasty in conversation. Here's what's true. That's not what this is teaching. What, what this is teaching is not interpersonal communication between you and me. Right, while yes, there's plenty of Proverbs, there's plenty of verses throughout your Bible that go and teach things like, hey, hey you need to be a great listener. Hey, hey, you need to be soft of speech. Hey, hey, you better be careful with your anger. All of that is true biblically. But the primary direction of this text is not towards me and another person. It's towards me and my relationship with God. What's the context? Trials. What's the context? Temptations. James is saying, your anger in response, don't you come to a heavenly father who's given you his word and say, how could you? Why would you? You see this, the heart of this. It's really exemplified. If you know the story, you know the story of Job. He's a guy who went through a lot of trials and in trials where that can lead to his temptation. And you see this heart of Job, this heart of righteousness, but really over time, Job goes from asking questions of God because he's hurting, he's broken, he's in pain. God honors that, he loves that. But towards the end, you begin to see Job go from asking to the disposition of the heart shift to demanding. What James is saying of you and me is watch your heart. He's talking about the attitude. He's talking about how you and I approach God in receiving that. So church, we don't quote this to one another. We quote this in relationship to God. What James is not saying is he's not saying he doesn't understand why when people, they get the diagnosis, they get the broken phone call, they get the divorce papers. He's not saying, hey, don't grieve. Don't have anger. He's saying, don't turn that vertical. And then he goes on to tell us why. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, anytime you see therefore, he's following up. Because of this, let's do this. Put away. What's put away mean? It'd be like if I had a, a dirty jacket. Put away is taking off the dirty jacket and throwing it aside. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Right? You, you know what filthiness means. You know what, you know what wickedness means. Rampant, though, it, it's a really interesting word. It speaks to things that even if everyone else celebrates and accepts and calls it normal, it, it's the idea of rampant being everyone else thinks it's completely normal to act in this way. And if that way is not in accordance with God's word, he's saying, put it away. Throw it off. Receive, sorry, I lost my spot. And then he says instead, hey, receive with meekness the implanted word. Meekness just means humility. What he's talking about is anytime I go to have a conversation with God, if I come to God telling him why he should and what he should do, it's almost as if I come with a cup that is full, but then I say, hey, fill my cup. It's the heart of the person who comes to a conversation who says, I know everything, therefore I don't need to hear you because in hearing you, there's nothing for me to learn. It's the attitude of the person when you get in the conversation with them where they cut you off because they say, no, no, I know what you're going to say. James is pleading, don't treat a heavenly father who loves you that way. 
Instead, receive with meekness, humility, the implanted word. What's that word? The first thing that you receive, church, is faith. It's the reality of he came to set you free by grace through faith. He died for your sins and mine. That's what you receive with meekness. But from that, what he's also talking about is God's word. James, he wouldn't understand that to have been primarily his Old Testament. But who's writing this whole New Testament? Who's writing to James, the Holy Spirit? What he's talking about is you receive God's revealed will with meekness. And he gives a reason as for why, which is able to save your souls. I remember the first time I read that, I remember thinking, wait, 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 wait. I receive it, which in a way it can save my souls. Like, can I lose my soul? What does that mean? How does that happen? Here's what he's speaking to, which is able to save your souls. A better word for that would be lives. James is talking about how in receiving with meekness the word of God, it's a better life. It is a better life life. To summarize what he's taught through this section, the first part, he says, hey, you got to examine your attitude. He's telling you and I to be ready. Then after trials, after temptations, to be ready and don't go to God demanding, looking at him saying, how could you? Why would you? If you were real, you wouldn't have. If you were good, you wouldn't have allowed. Don't go demanding. Go asking. Go saying, Father, will you help me? I'm confused. Father, will you help me? I'm hurt. Father, will you help me? This doesn't make sense. Be ready. The next theme he sets up, he says, hey, you got to get rid of wickedness. Put it away. you got to remove the sin in your life, church, to receive with humility the word of God. So much of my life, I wasn't willing to do that because I wasn't going to give up on my way. It was going to be my way. You meet these people where you come and you engage with them and you know, no, 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 really, man, if you turn right, Right, and you stop turning wrong. If you turn right, it will bring tremendous blessing to you, to your family, to your dating relationship, to your marriage, to your job, to your company, to your coworkers. But they're not ready to hear it. They don't want to put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness. They're not ready to remove. And what's the third thing? He says, hey, receive it. Receive, it means to take the controlling direction of your life. This happened for me pretty recently, honestly. My wife and I, so we moved here about a year and a half ago. We came here, new town, new job, new church, new friends, new community, new everything. It was a privilege, grateful for it, but came here entirely on faith saying, Jesus, I need you to show up. We came here too with our first little one, a little baby. She's about to turn two, so we kind of did the, the primary part of everything from one to one and a half in this time frame. Last year, our marriage was good, but it was not great. And it was the hardest year, I'd say, of our marriage. Right, throughout the time, yeah, it was more difficult things. God uses that. He matures it. He creates a steadfastness to it. All of that, I'm grateful for. I rejoice in. But it's still the truth of it. It was just a harder year. To where I would go to community groups, and folks would talk about marriage, and there was a sense of joy. And I can remember thinking, wait, 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 I want that. I want the feeling of come five, man, I want to go home. And the thing God started to realize through it is throughout that time, the way I was responding is I was going to my wife and I was trying to change things about her. P.S., don't try to change your spouse. Can't do it. Right? But that's effectively what I was doing. I was trying to change. Other language I would put to that, I was trying to be her version of the Holy Spirit. And there was this text that about four months ago, God just started drilling into my head. It's Jesus. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Where does conviction and change come from? <clears throat> Not me. The Holy Spirit. And I realized having to go to my wife. Part of the reason you bristle, part of the reason there's not this sense of joy, fun, and laughter is everything's this critique. And I've not loved you, and I've not cared for you, and I am not God. I had to remove that wickedness in me. I had to remove that. I had to come back and say, yes, I can come. And in the same way, she helps me bring awareness to issues to excel still more. But the follow-through action, hey, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have a community group. They'll help. I'm not responsible. Man, 
our marriage the past couple months, y'all, has been wonderful. Wonderful. Where there's excitement, there's this joy, and there's peace, which is able to save your souls. It is a better life. What, what happened? There was a realization. Man, I'm not receiving with meekness. There wasn't humility to God's word. There was a posturing of I know. Man, it hurt me and it hurt my bride. But now, removing and receiving. Let's jump back into the text. Let's keep looking. We're going to pick it back up, verse 22. We're going to read down through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The second theme that James is saying is he reminds you and me Obeying God's word is a hallmark. It is a characteristic. It is a differentiating factor of God's people. What, what must we do? You got to respond to it in order to obey it. You got to do what it says, church. Right? This is where you begin to embrace the gift of obedience. He starts out here, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. One of the things I loved in studying this passage this week I never realized something before. James, he could have written, but do what the word says. But hear what God has for you. He could have made them verbs. Instead, he made them nouns. Here's why. He's not looking for what I could give my heart to in frequent obedience, realizing I'm supposed to. But be doers of the word. He's talking it in a noun form. He's talking about a change in state of being. He's reminding of identity. Because of faith, here's who you are. You are set to the work of the master. You're a masterpiece, and he has a plan prepared in advance for you to walk in, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. The Christian who claims Jesus Christ says they love Jesus Christ, wants to live for Jesus Christ, and their life is not marked by obedience, is at best confused and at worst spiritually deceived and thinking they're a Christian and they're not. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Is there anything wrong with being a hearer? No, it's where you start, but it's not where you end. It's right to come and read and learn and listen and have the Spirit illuminate things in your life. But what that's meant to do is to lead to action. By this, church, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You can say you have love for people all day long, but if that love is not demonstrated in action, it's not love. It's not love. That's what James, he's reminding you, and he's reminding me, you must, we must, respond. Respond. And then he sets it up with this. He's going to draw this parallel contrast of there's a person who's just a hearer and not a doer, right? And then there's the doer. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Looks intently. This isn't like a backward glance. This is like they're staring for the purposes of careful consideration. It's like they check out their reflection in the mirror. But then he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James is using sarcasm to come and prove to people how many of us don't come and in response to hearing, to understanding God's word, know we're called to something more and we do nothing with it. He's pulling out sarcasm that applies to us in the same way it applied to the first century church. Hey, y'all. There's nobody here who woke up this morning, checked themselves out in the mirror, and was like, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Mm-mm. You had bedhead. You at least had to brush your teeth, fix something. Like, I have these eyebrows that can go crazy at times. Now you're all going to stare at my eyebrows the rest of the time, right? So you got to fix that. My wife, she has something that I call the go bag, right? 
the go bag, it sits right by where our keys are. It's for the moment when we go to get in the car, but there wasn't a time to beautify, to examine in a mirror, sit down in the chair, and really change things. So what she does, she grabs her go bag, and we get in the car, and the first thing that happens is this. She gets in the front seat, goes, and there's this flip, flip. What did I just do? Pulled down that mirror, and she sits there and applies what I call war paint, Right? to where, man, she looks really pretty when we see other people all the time. And you go and you hang out. It could be everything from, what did we do yesterday? Went to go eat breakfast at Grand Zines. Man, it's like 10 a.m. Nobody's at Grand Zines. Who cares? She's gorgeous without it. But man, she puts it on. James is saying, coming and doing like that, it's like examining yourself in the mirror and saying, no, I'm good. The average person, according to a British study, or average female, looks at the mirror 38 times a day. The average male looks 18. Both are not healthy. Right? What James is saying is not that there's anything wrong with looking in the mirror, but there's absolutely something wrong if you and I look in the mirror of God's law that calls us to more and we say, I'm enough. That's foolishness. That's not being a doer. That is being a hearer. And why does he want this for us? But the one, now he's talking about the doer, but the one who looks into what? The perfect law. The law of liberty. How this book, man, it is divine. It is inerrant. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. You can read this and get to know God. If you have questions about how can this book be true? How is it not broken down? How have people not mistranslated over centuries? Man, come and talk to us. There's really great answers. It was the first thing I went to ask after I became a Christian. Don't leave here without asking. Because James knows it's true. You know what else James knows? It's the law of liberty. It comes to bring freedom and not limitation Right When you steward your money, when you live a generous life, you're free from the enslaving grip of greed. You have peace. When you steward according to God's word, you don't fear the credit card bill. When you steward your sexual intimacy as God would have you, what does it lead to? Real intimacy with God, with your partner with your spouse. It brings blessing. It is a law of liberty. He sets it up. What does this person do? They persevere. They continue in. They abide with it. They are no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And then what is James? What's this theme he keeps reminding us? Is he's calling us to be doers, as he's calling us, hey, church, give your life to the worthy work. You've been made worthy. Now go to work. The whole time as he calls it for us, he gives us divine carrot. They will be blessed in their doing. So many times people, what they do is they come and they say, man, I really want God's blessing. If I can receive, they don't say it this way. But what they want is God's blessing first. And then from blessing comes obedience. Here's the first thing I tell you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven from your sins and you have an eternal relationship with him. You've been blessed. What people then really want is like, man, I want to feel like obeying before I obey. Church, church, he will be blessed in what he's doing. Get after it. Get after it. It's not legalism. It is faithfulness. And what does it bring? Peacefulness to the soul. I got to be reminded of this through a good friend of mine, a buddy of mine named Chris. He and I were hanging out this week, went to a coffee shop, and I got to hear it, which I love hearing. I got to hear his story, and man, I've heard it countless times. Chris, great guy, grew up, great family, walked faithfully for a long time, or actually um, culturally faithfully, not being a doer of the word, mostly being a hearer. He walked in that about five years ago. What began to wreck his life? Depression and anxiety. It, it really was crippling for him. I can remember connecting with him about a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago where Chris, he came and it was starting to become overwhelming to him. And there was this counsel, and this can be good counsel, but there was this counsel towards, hey, let's go, let's go put you on medication. Right, like, like some of this is, it's not working, we gotta put you on medication. I got nothing against medication. Sometimes you've dug yourself so deep and the neuroelasticity of your brain, you need help getting out. 
But man, I went there and I sat with him and we connected and I said, hey, that may be the absolute right next step. Because if we're here at step one and that's step five, what if we considered some of the things God's word might say and we tried following, being a doer of those before we jumped to this? And because of his faith, man, he had the humility to where he said, okay, I'll try. I can remember talking with him about, hey, what if you fought to take captive those thoughts? Hey, make a log of them. Write every single one of them down that assault you and attack you. Write, write them all down, every single one of them. If, if in one day there's 500, write 500. And then let's come and let's meet. And let's begin to understand. Let's find the theme. Let's find the threads. Let's identify the deception in them and then replace that with truth. And you got to see him fight to do that. You know what else he started to do? You got to see him come and begin to confess his sins. Repentance. James is going to end this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Obedience comes like confessing to God, confessing to others, walking in faithfulness. Church, if you have, this is what you call a room-clearing statement. If you have hidden sin in your life, you will not receive the full blessing of God in it. I'm not saying that compromises your eternal destination, but I'm saying he loves you enough to not bless disobedience. He loves you. He loves you. He wants to set you free in the same way, right? Like when kids come and you know they're lying, you don't just go on with it. The first thing you do is you address the lie, remind them of truth, and then help them walk in it. God's a good father. Chris began to do that, confessed a long-standing addiction to pornography. I had hid that from his family, from his marriage. Wife responded in grace and healing. Community came around and helped him excel still more to make no provision for the flesh, to run towards Jesus Christ. What was he doing? He was responding. Why? Obeying God's word is a hallmark of God's people. Chris is one of the most faithful men I know. Since I've come here, I've said repeatedly, there's no one I have seen change more than him, and it's been a privilege to watch. It's inspiring, man. You get around it, and you're like, I want more of that. How do I be more of that? How do I look more like that? All he's doing is coming, and by faith, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect, but you are called to respond. Here's one of the ways that responding it really looks like. Let's jump back in. Let's read verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. Oh, excuse me. If anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue, they're deceiving his heart. This person's religion is worthless. James said it, not me, but I'm saying it because he said it. Religion is worthless. That doesn't mean non-salvific, by the way. What it's talking about, it's without fruit. It's futile. It is ineffective. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Obeying God's word is a hallmark of God's people. The third theme that James drives home is you and I, we are called to resign our life to this. Resign, if you remember why I chose that word, it means to unconditionally give yourself over to. If you're like me, here's what you have a tendency of doing, compartmentalizing, saying, God, you can have, hey, God, I'll give you my finances, but my marriage, I'm gonna keep doing my marriage the way I want. Hey, God, you can have how I try to honor you through worship and excellence at work. But man, this dating relationship, this one's mine on my terms. Hey, hey, God, you can have this. I'll try to come and read, but you don't get to examine my entertainment choices and how if people saw the things that I watch, I listen to, I give my heart to, there'd be no real differentiating characteristic beside, behind someone who doesn't know God at all. No, he's saying all of you, my whole life, your whole life, he starts it out, if anyone thinks he's religious, religious here, what it's talking about is external activity. The word's not inherently negative, though. It's external forms of worship, and he's driving home two things. Religious 
and pure and undefiled religion. He's going to trace these two themes through the text. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, if you've ever ridden a horse, been around horses, you know what a bridle is. It's what you place over the face of the horse so you can grab it and you can control the direction. It's through a bridle, and James later will see when it addresses tongue in chapter 3 through a bit. It's a small instrument that directs a massive and powerful and strong animal. And he's saying if you come and you attend church, you go to BSF, you listen to this, you only put on K-Love or Air One, or or you, you try to pray at meals occasionally, none of those things are wrong. But he's saying if that is you finding religion, yet your tongue isn't mastered, it's worthless. Because what is this doing? You can't compartmentalize transformed faith. I sure do try to, though. I sure do try to. And he's pleading, no, no, God wants all of you. We all know the theme, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is after the heart. And that's what James is saying. The heart demonstrates a betrayal of allegiance and the way we steward our words and the way we talk. And then he he goes on to the pure. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. I love that he says it before God. Here's, Here's why I think. Right before he goes to tell you and me what real faithfulness looks like, like what real devotion, what what the church is meant to be, the mission of your life. If you're looking for your purpose in life, here it is. He reminds you and he reminds me, we don't get to set the standard. We don't get to decide. You and I don't get to determine, Christian. It's been determined, set for by us through God's word before God. And then what does he say? Go and care for. Visit. Visit doesn't mean one time. It means consistently. It's like, an, it's like an overseer. Visit widows and orphans. Who are they? The ones with the greatest need. So are you called to care for widows and orphans, church? Yes. But really what he's speaking to, who are the people that can't care for, protect themselves, that need help? Changed people who know Jesus Christ came to me when I was in deep need, when I was foolish, and I did not know how to care for myself. I thought I did, but I didn't. How I was an orphan, not adopted into the family of God, but by faith he came, and there's an adoption, and a celebration, and a bringing me in, and caring for me when I was the least of these. What happens to us, church, is we then go, and we love the least of these. We give our life to it. We resign ourselves. That's not radical faith. He just says it right there at the beginning. Before God. And then he keeps going. To keep oneself unstained from the world. The world, what he's referencing there is essentially, it's like an ungodly culture, the environment that you're in. There's not anything wrong with inherently being in the world. But if you've heard the phrase, we are not meant to be of the world. What is your purpose? What is your mission, Christian? To give your life away. Why? Because you know what it's like when a Savior comes to die for you. You give your life away, and then what do you do? You take serious a call to personal holiness. Like the local church is not a service project agency. Like what we are not meant to do in and of itself is to go and do charity and organizations and go do all these things and give it away. Is that part of it? Absolutely, and we better be about it. We're also meant to do is be doers. And what doers do who know a holy, kind, loving Father is they fight for holiness. They war for it. It doesn't just come natural. If you, if you don't get that, listen to last week. Keep yourself unstained, unpolluted. Man, I need this text. Obeying God's word is a hallmark of God's people. We, we, we do this in three ways. It's the first we come and we receive it with meekness, with humility. We come to this and we say, God, would you open the eyes of my heart that I might understand your word? One of the prayers that I pray most often before I open the Bible is this. God, I don't really want to be here. 
I don't really want to read this. I'm mostly bored, and I don't think I'm going to have any emotional experience out of it. And that's kind of what I chase, not godliness. I chase emotionalism. Would you please use this time to change me to where I leave more faithful than when I started? Help me to do what I cannot. That's seriously, like I pray that consistently. You receive it with meekness. You respond to it, church. If you've been coming through this and your version of cultural Christianity looks like, oh yeah, no, I go along. But really what you do is you look around the room and you evaluate everybody else and you think, okay, am I keeping pace? Am, am I doing worse? Okay, I'm definitely better than them. That's not God's standard. He wants blessing for you. He wants peace. He wants you to live in abundance. He wants when people get around you to come and be like, man, that's the type of life, marriage, parenting, discipleship, that's the type of leader I want to be. He wants that for you and he wants that for me. And so what do we do? We resign our lives to live according to this. There's no secret sauce to spiritual maturity. There's no mysticism behind any of it. It's oftentimes, the way I've heard it said, it's a lonely discipline, you and God connecting behind closed doors and then a heart that pleads amidst others to say, would you make me faithful? That's what leads to maturity. How do we do that? First thing I wanna do is I wanna get really practical in how we spend time reading God's word. So if this is something for you, what I'd recommend for the next part, if you've, if you've tuned out of everything I've said, I get it. Just listen to this next section where, where we really talked, okay, how? How do we be a doer? I'm going to share with you one thing I've shared before, and then we're going to add a few steps to it. When it comes to connecting with God through his word, you need to identify a time, a time of the day that you say this is God's right? Part of your money is taxed to the government. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, part of your money should be generous and tithed and stewarded. Part of your time, man. I'd honor that. I'd give that to God. This is God's. I set it aside. How long should that be? Hey, I wouldn't go any shorter than five minutes. I wouldn't go any longer than five hours. And I'd honor all your other obligations. Work it out, right? That's what I would do. Time. A place. Where's somewhere you can go without distraction? where you can focus, a desk, a table, a coffee shop, a library, before kids are awake, whatever. A time, a place, and then you need a plan. What are you gonna read? If you wanna start by just flip, turn here, you can. I don't recommend it, but you can. I encourage you, the place I always tell folks is I'd turn to the book of John, start in chapter one. I'd read five chapters a week. I wouldn't read more than a chapter a day. And I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't set a goal to do it more than five times. If you do it more than five times, though, that's awesome. The reason for that is because people miss like day three and they're like, oh man, I have to give up now. I failed. No, no, just keep going. Connect with God. A time, a plan, a place. Now this, this is the next pragmatic thing to where if you read the Bible and you're bored and you don't get it and it never connects and you don't ever think, I don't remember anything I just read, do this. Write out. What stood out from what I read? What stood out? Literally, I put a piece of paper to my right side. There's four questions, and I answer them. What stood out? That can be a verse. That can be a theme. That can be an idea. That can be a thought. What stood out? It's you and God. There's no right or wrong. Well, there could be wrong if it's unbiblical, but we'll work through that. What stood out? If you don't have anything, just pick a verse. And then answer the next question. What did it say? How do you put that verse in layman's terms? How would you say that? What does it say? Next question, what does it mean? And this is where you really start to feast. You start to get nutrients. You start to engage with the word of God. What does it mean? Like, what does it mean to be a doer of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself? Okay, what does that mean, God? Can you help me? Ask him for help. The Holy Spirit loves illuminating. What does it mean? Fourth question, what does it mean for me today? That's application. How do I apply this? to my life? What's one action step I can take? What's one thing I can do? And do it. Ask for help. Tell your community group. My community group, in order to do this, we have to text each other. Each person is assigned one day of the week, and we send it out. Why? Because I want to know what they're reading. I want to know what they're praying for, and they want to hold me accountable. Just because I come and I prep sermons doesn't mean I get to do this. Don't have to do this. Excuse me. I'm just another brother trying to be faithful. 
I have to plead with God today, man, and this isn't for being fancy. I had to read Numbers, not have to, I got to. I had to read Numbers 35, where God assigns the boundaries of the promised land. And I had no idea why it really mattered. And then I got to stop and think, man, he told me what heaven will be like, and I'm not there yet. He told them about their promised land. He's told me about my promised land. He's assured me victory in territory before I ever even got there. It's really nice of you, God. Closed the Bible and I went on with my day. Time, plan, place. What stood out? What does it say? What does it mean to me? How do I apply it today? Obeying God's word is a hallmark of God's people. And I'm going to close with this. My life, after getting arrested, continued on, worked through everything. You'd think that that was kind of a shock to the system. And yes, of course, I was scared of cops for like the next six years, all the time. And I had a few other, we'll call them engagements, right? <laughs> but my life just continued. There was this addiction to pornography, a terrible desire to get lost in a bottle, broken relationships, to where, man, I just built up. In the college I went to, my class, there was 1,200 people, I think, maybe 1,500, 1,200 so you don't know everybody by the end of the time. You know most of the people and the people who go out. You definitely start, you kind of get to know those folks. And then I had this reputation. Nice guy. Broken. And I broke things. I can remember there was this gal throughout that every now and then I'd see at parties. I never saw her drunk. But I'd see her out and about. She was always smiling. She was always kind to me. Fast forward. I in college. I was offered a job in Dallas. I moved to Dallas, I got connected to a church. I began to see for the first time, you can love God and have problems. I didn't know that was possible. Fast forward three months, while reading through this, I received in a salvific way the implanted word and it changed my life. Changed my life. And for the first time I began to realize because of love like that, I wanna give my life to live like that. I remember I got connected to this Bible study that would meet on Tuesdays. They'd all come and gather as a bunch of young adults and you'd go hang out. I remember walking through this foyer one day. And it was this bigger foyer and there's this countertop. And I remember walking through. And that girl from college was behind the counter. That girl, I, I didn't know her name. Right? I still don't remember her name. And that girl from college was behind the counter. And she was talking with folks. They turned and she saw me. And there was this moment of literally, oh my God. Gosh, she's not allowed to say God, right? Oh my gosh. And there's this shock look on her face. Right, and then she came and she looked at me and she just said, I have to hear that story. Right, here's the thing that I can remember. One, yes, of course, I was grateful. But I can remember thinking, I went behind this counter and I sat down and I tried my best to explain with imperfect words, here's what God had done in my life. But I can remember being back behind there and thinking to myself as I told this story, my reputation's gonna change. Not because I have to, because I want to. I'm gonna be a different man. I'm not gonna go my way. I'm going to go his way. It brings blessing. I want to be a doer because being a hearer is a beating. I want to be a doer because of everything he has already done for me. And I can remember in that moment, in imperfectness, as I shared this story, resolving, resigning myself in my heart to say, I don't ever want to go back. God, would you change the way? And at that time I was single. Would you change the way I steward my singleness? I can remember making more money than, can you change the way I steward my money? Can you change the way I approach intimacy? Can you then come and you change the way I steward marriage and parenting, being in community group, and just being another guy who simply wants to die faithful? I want a different reputation, church. Our reputation, God's people obey God's word, not because we have to, but because of what he's done. He loves you. Let me pray that we would do that. Father, I thank you for changing that in my life. I thank you for making that true. God, I pray you'd make it more true. Make me more of a doer. Help me to stop lying to myself in the moments where I say that I am and my compromised faithfulness, but I thank you for the grace that even when I do, you 
love me. I pray that you would transform the people here, those who love you, that we would be folks who get after it, that we would not view obedience as limitation, but freedom. May that be true of me. May that be true of your church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, hey, thank you all for coming and hanging out with us. We love this time. If you're here thinking through, is this the place God would have me steward and call a church home? We're doing a newcomer's class. We'd love to come hang out with you. Bring your kiddos. We got lunch. But if not, man, go. Y'all have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.